Now our future world draws near, and we face the challenge of tomorrow. We must return and take command of our spaceship Earth. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 33 for the week of September 23rd, 2007. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and thank you for tuning in once again. There's not a lot of Walt Disney World news again this week, but we'll talk about the upcoming Epcot rededication ceremony and what Disney has planned, as well as a new place to meet Captain Jack Sparrow and some dining venue news. Jeff Pepper is going to join me as we get ready to celebrate Epcot's 25th anniversary. And this week, instead of a detailed look at a single attraction or pavilion, we're going to look at some of Epcot's best. Specifically, Epcot's 25 Best of the Best, showcasing some of the very best Epcot has and had to offer. We'll look at another of Walt Disney World's hidden treasures this week, which can also be found in Epcot. Gary Chambers from the Mouse Lounge podcast is going to come along for this fun freebie for kids and adults alike. I still have a lot of your voicemails that I'll get to and play more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. It's been another relatively quiet week in Walt Disney World news, as I think I and many people in the company are preparing for the upcoming Epcot rededication ceremony and events during the day on October 1st. And speaking of events, more details have emerged about what guests visiting Epcot can expect on that day. In addition to the fan celebrations and events like Celebration 25, which Jeff Pepper and I, as well as about 1,100 other Disney fans will be attending, Guests who are visiting Epcot on October 1st will be a part of a very special day in Walt Disney World's history as Disney commemorates the anniversary in a number of different ways. First, as part of the celebration, guests visiting the park will be able to attend the rededication of the park at 10.01, get it, 10.01, October 1st, a.m., by the Fountain of Nations. Also, guests will be able to stroll down memory lane with a Disney legend, Marty Sklar. He's been with the company since 1955. He was dubbed the first official Imagineering ambassador and is set to share his stories of Disney history and his very unique perspective on the future of the Walt Disney World Resort and specifically Epcot uh, at a presentation during that day. In addition, guests are going to have the opportunity to visit Epcot's 25th anniversary gallery to explore the fascinating journey that brought Epcot from Walt's original dream to the reality we have today. This exhibit's going to showcase concept art and models and memorabilia from the early days on Epcot. Um, that is, I believe, going to be held at Interventions West, something I really can't wait to see myself. And uh, there's going to be some other surprises likely in store. Be sure to tune in next week for something and someone very special concerning this event. 
some time ago, we talked about some new Disney Star Wars figures that were going to be coming out later on this year. Well, someone sent me a link over to wizarduniverse.com where more pictures uh, have come up. I'll put that link up in the show notes. If you are a Disney fan and a Star Wars fan, I think you're really, really going to like what some of these upcoming action figures are going to look like. On September 16th through the 20th, as well as the 23rd, 24th, 25th, and 29th of this year, there's going to be a Jack Sparrow test meet and greet over at the Adventureland Veranda from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. daily during these test dates. Now, the Adventureland Veranda is right over the bridge from the hub to Adventureland. Again, this is just a test. It is something that they're doing outside of the Pirate and Princess Party. So if you want to go meet Jack Sparrow, those are the dates if you're going to be down there to check it out. I have a feeling this is going to be very, very successful, and this may not be the last time you see it. I think this is really meant to complement the Jack Sparrow Pirate tutorial where people really want to get a chance to meet and talk to Jack outside of the show. So, uh, like I said, I have a feeling this is going to be very, very successful. Disney recently announced that they're going to be donating $10 million to Florida's hospital $40 million expansion. The hospital is the first and only hospital to bear the Disney name, although the actual formal name of the hospital won't be released until a later time. The hospital is scheduled to be completed in 2010. It's going to grow from 155 to 200 pediatric beds and offer advanced surgery, oncology, neurosurgery, and so much more. The expansion is going to take place in four phases. uh, And Disney's uh, Children's Hospital Lobby that's going to be designed by Disney is slated to be completed in November 2008. Recently, one of my sources hinted at some of the changes that may be coming to Spaceship Earth including a few new scenes. And while I was going to report on some of these as rumors in the coming weeks, Matt in Keller, Texas, seems to have confirmed at least part of what I had heard. He just picked up the 2008 Birnbaum Walt Disney World guidebook and noticed that the description for Spaceship Earth, they mentioned two new show scenes. He says, quote, Epcot veterans will notice two new scenes, a 1960s mainframe computer room and a garage scene depicting the creation of the personal computer. Matt says, And I agree with him. It sounds very, very cool. And he, like I, cannot wait to see the revised Spaceship Earth when he goes in May 2008. Um, Again, this is just a hint, I think, of many things to come. I have heard rumors about some other things coming, but I will report on them either as rumor or as news once they're confirmed. Over in Disney's Animal Kingdom, it looks like we have maybe a, a final opening date for the Yak and Yeti, which is set to be November 17th, although I do understand that it might only be the table service portion of the restaurant as the counter service portion may not be complete as then again that that date can change so uh, you'll have to call disney to find out exactly when that may take place you can call 407 wdw dine for more information finally two popular restaurants have opened after refurbishments the first is tutto italia which opened on september 17th some changes include the fact that they currently are not taking adrs although that will likely change very soon but they are participating in the disney dining plan The new menu also has family-style, or abandanza, dinner menu, which includes family-style platters for everyone to share that includes one appetizer, two entrees, and dessert. 1900 Park Fair over at the Grand Floridian also reopened on September 16th with a refurbished dining room as well as a new character dinner called Cinderella's Happily Ever After Dinner. That features Cinderella, Prince Charming, Lady Tremaine, Anastasia, and Drizella. I expect both of these dining options to be very, very popular, especially the new character dinner. If anybody listening has had a chance to try out or take a look at either of those restaurants and would like to submit a review or call in from the restaurant, you could send that to Lou at WDWRadio.com or call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. 
And of course, if you want to discuss any of the items we covered in this news section or anything we talk about on the show, please go by and visit the WDW Radio Message Forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. This week's hidden treasure of Walt Disney World takes us back to Epcot. And believe it or not, this one's not about food. It's not about something you can buy or do, but one of Walt Disney World's hidden freebies. And I wanted to bring back our friend Gary Chambers from the Mouse Lounge podcast and voiceover actor extraordinaire Gary. Welcome back, my friend. My pleasure to be here. This is my opportunity to get you to go soak your head. <laughs> Literally <Lou>? and figuratively. <laughs> go soak your head. All right, tell, tell, tell your audience what, what we're talking about. Well, we're talking about the, the jumping fountains or the leaping fountains over by the Imagination Pavilion in Epcot's Future World. I'm sure you've seen them um, as you're walking into the pavilion or out of the pavilion. They, you kind of have the kind of water kind of jumping back and forth from planter to planter. You, I'm sure you've seen kids try and catch the water, some kids stepping into the water, some adult, maybe some adults stepping in the water, uh, whatnot. It's, it's really neat, te- both technologically and just visually. It's something really cool and, and some of the wonderful things that Disney does with water, not only around the Imagination Pavilion, but, but all around Future World, actually. Well, everybody knows the, the phrase, the devil is in the details. And as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to Walt Disney World, the magic is in the details. And here's one of those attractions that's not an attraction that you wouldn't pay any money really to go see. But it's what really enhances the, the, the visceral experience that you have when you are in Epcot. You just happen to be walking by. And here's this beautiful fountain with these leapfrog waters going from... Uh, from place to place and it seems just completely a miracle especially to the kids and just watching them and their jaws drop and their eyes become as big as saucers as they're watching these these leapfrog fountains go it's an absolute treasure and I'll tell you one other thing that I've noticed the last time I was there I just so happened to be on the right hand side of the monorail as I was coming or excuse me the left side of the monorail as I was coming into Epcot. And if you want a really unique view of these fountains, get on the monorail and look down to the left towards the Imagination Pavilion as you make that look loop to go back into the station. And it just gives you this bird's eye view that you can't see from underneath. It's every bit as fascinating as if you're actually standing right in front of it. Yeah, it's very cool. And obviously, if you have kids, too, you know, in the middle of summer when it gets hot, it gives them a little place to kind of expend some energy and run around and cool off a little bit as well. But I strongly recommend, if you're an adult, don't get down in your skivvies and start running around, please. please. I did it once. The security chased me. I'd, you know, I'd rather not talk about it if possible. But That was you? Listen. That was you. I think I read about it. Here's a little did you know that, the, that these, I'm just going to gloss right over that. These fountains were designed by Mark Fuller, who was a former Imagineer over at Disney. He designed these. He also designed the Fountain of Nations at Interventions Plaza. And uh, he also did the Triton Gardens over in Disneyland. He later went on to form his own company called Wet Enterprises. And if you've ever been out to the Bellagio, uh, much as I have in Las Vegas, and enjoyed the fountains out there, that is Mark's work as well. So you can see the guy is not only creative, but a a genius with water as well. Great engineering feat, truly. Absolutely. And like you said, a a hidden treasure. Something I think most people kind of overlook and probably wouldn't pay for to to do, but it's something pretty neat and, uh, and something that kind of makes Walt Disney World so much more special. 
absolutely adds to the magic absolutely and and gary you'll be back again for more hidden treasures in the future but for now if you haven't checked out gary chambers and his podcast go over and check it out at mouselounge.com you can also subscribe via itunes gary has a wonderful show has a wonderful take on all things disney i highly recommend you go and check it out gary my friend thank you for coming on taking some time to talk about uh, another one of walt disney world's hidden treasures as always my pleasure lou thank you for having me on This week with Epcot's 25th coming up, I thought that instead of Jeff and I doing another in our Epcot retrospective series, we would take a fun look at Epcot as a whole uh, and do kind of a a past and present, really a best of the best and actually 25 of the best of the bests of Epcot Center. And what we're hoping to do is really a fun, casual look at what we think are some of the best things Epcot has and had to offer. So Jeff Pepper, of course, from 2719 Hyperion, welcome back. Thanks, Lou. This Let's is gonna have be some fun uh, and... yeah. This is gonna be a lot of fun. I think something a little bit different. Let's cue up that uh, main entrance medley in the background there. And... You read my mind. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but let's um, before we we because I know what's going to happen. We end up starting to geek out as we talk about the the old Epcot. Um, we'll take the, the the easy one first. We'll do an easy one first and talk about what we think the best attraction in Future World is. Not Pavilion. That's going to be a separate. That's going to be a separate. The best single attraction in Future World, currently. That is current. Current. Okay, who's going first? Please, Age Before Beauty. As it should be. So uh, I guess that's me. <laughs> it, I, I I do have a hands down favorite, um, and that of course is Soaring. Uh, I think that's going to be um, on a lot of people's kind of best of the best list in terms of contemporary attractions, and it's a weird pick for me because. I, I don't necessarily I wish they would theme it a little bit better and uh, change the movie out but because it is just an overall just blow you out of your seat literally attraction um, I just it's it's my current favorite this may be the start of a trend of you and I saying the same things because the first thing that came to my mind was also Soren I just think it's so much fun and it's it's moving and I just love the music and, and the effects and everything about it it is just amazing and I don't mind waiting an hour, an hour and a half for it. And I think that's how you can tell if an attraction is really good. And it's just one of the things that you, you have to do. But I'd be remiss if I didn't say Spaceship Earth as well, because I just love the attraction for so many different reasons um, as a classic attraction, as a current attraction. And I'm excited to see what they're going to do when it opens up again. And I'll throw in my own little addendum on that as well, because that exactly what you said, that the kind of rumor scuttlebutt that we're hearing, though certainly not anywhere near being confirmed in any way, is just you know if it is true it shows the potential for yeah it to easily become my favorite um you know we're hearing rumors of patrick Stewart being involved and also the return of the tomorrow's child song so if those things do in fact come to pass i i have a good feeling that it's going to be right at the top of my list well i will tell you to make sure that i know when you listen to the show you probably just fast forward to the parts that you're in and fast forward past everything else but be sure you listen to the rumor section this week because i have some uh, interesting sort of confirmed rumors about something else you're going to be seeing in space birth as well so and 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 everybody take note of what lou just said because it's very accurate he never tells me anything i get nothing <laughs> until i listen to the show i get little emails that say 
oh, Jeff, I know something you don't know. <laughs> and much like the rest of this list, you don't even know what all the questions are going to be. So, <laughs> All right, so that, that's the single attraction. What do you think is, is probably the best Future World Pavilion today as a whole? Ooh, as a whole, I would probably have to go with the Land Pavilion. And we are two for two. We're two for two. Is it because of Soren primarily, or, or what else makes it? What do you, what do you think makes it the best of the of all the pavilions? Uh, it still retains much of its original charm as it was conceived of, even though it has gone through some very very dramatic changes with the addition of soaring and the elimination of the kitchen cabaret food rock shows. It still kind of just still has that feel, and it does have an attraction in it, um, the uh, the land attraction, the boat ride that is still very much what it was back when the, the park opened and it's essentially it's, it's a pavilion it's you know there's multiple things in it as opposed to just a test track attack attraction or a mission space attraction um, it still has that big pavilion feel to it yeah and, and plus you have like you said you have the restaurants you have the movies um, I still like listen to the land uh, I, I think maybe if I had to pick a second maybe behind that um, the Seas is one of the one that I think that's getting up there. I, at one point, I would have said Imagination when the ImageWorks was opened and it, when it was what it was way back when. But the Seas with Nemo now and Turtle Talk, and you have the aquarium and you have the Coral Reef restaurant. Um, that's got a lot going for it as well. But on to the next question. Let's get right to the food ob- items and let's talk about what do you think the best restaurant in all of Epcot Future World World Showcase is. Whoa, that is, that one's tough. Um, I'm probably going to go with Le Cellier. I've only been there once. <coughs> Scopa fan. Food was, yeah, Scopa <laughs> fan. The food was so phenomenal. Um, but are we making a distinction um, between counter service and full service or just overall? Or well, I, I, have a couple well, let's just say best restaurant things. maybe for dinner because I'm going to ask you the best place to maybe get a snack and the best place to get to oh, lunch. Okay. So. Yeah, I would still I would say Le Cellier. Okay, I was going to say Rose and Crown. Actually, um, I, I think the food is very good. You have some unique uh, items on the menu. You have a great bar um, with all different types of beers and drinks. And if you're lucky enough to get a seat by the window or outside, it's a perfect place to watch Illuminations. Um, and it, the pavilion is just beautiful at night too. So that really kind of adds to the whole experience for me. Um, so I, I'm going to say Rose and Crown. But if you had to go with maybe. Um, a best sn- uh, kiosk or or snack stand or uh, you know place like that counter service place. What would you say then? Uh, this is kind of close to where we were last week, but I have to say Yakitori House in Japan, and um, that is because what we talked about last week was the ambience and the setting, and just a very very relaxing kind of place. And so even though it's just counter service food, it's good counter service food, and it's it's just a really just neat place to hang out. That's actually, my next question was going to be the best place for lunch. And I was going to say Yakitori again for exactly the same reasons. I just think between the food and the gardens outside, it was beautiful. But I think all in all, the best place to get either a snack or a quick bite or a counter service thing is probably a Summerfest over in Germany. We covered on the show once before. I like the food. I like the, the Germany pavilion. Um, I think if I had to say maybe somewhere else, um, I think the kiosks I like is the tea house right that's on the promenade in China. And in Norway, I just love going in and getting uh, a lefsi, which is like a little, it's like a little flatbread that's made with um, cream and, and butter and sugar. And it's kind of rolled up and it's a nice little, um, 
snack that I like to get when I'm there. So, um, so I totally did misinterpret this question, did I not? It's my fault. I'm going to take total blame <laughs> for it. See what happens when you don't prepare. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> but all right, let's uh, let's stay in World Showcase. And I'm going to ask you, what do you think the best entertainment is in World Showcase? All the different pavilions have so many different uh, acts and things like that that you could see outside the pavilion. I'm not talking about individual attractions, but some of the different things you could see as you browse you know, through the different pavilions. I have a couple of favorites there. I, and I'll mention both of them. I really enjoy the Beatles cover band in uh, Great Britain or United Kingdom. And I am a very, very, very big fan of the acrobats in China. I again, we you must be reading my mental notes because the Dragon Legend acrobats in China, um, th- these these young kids are just incredible. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say the first thing that came to mind was the Voices of Liberty, over in American. Oh, Adventure. geez, yeah. Some Sorry, patriot, I, you I know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and you know, I, was too, think, I wasn't thinking America. I know, I know, I but it, international. And in the spirit of what we covered last week, um, the Matsuritsa drums over in Japan too, something I really really enjoy. Um, while I'm there, and I, and I try and actually check the times guide so I can catch it when I'm there. Yeah, let me let me just say that yeah, Voices of Liberty would be at the top of my list. I wasn't even on that that wavelength. All right, so overall, what do you think the best show or attraction in World Showcase is? And again, I'll let you go first. Oh, easily, hands down, that would be the American Adventure for all the reasons we've discussed in the past. Yeah, I agree with you. It was an absolute no-brainer. And again, while I like a lot of the other shows and attractions in some of the other pavilions, um, it just uh, American Adventure is completely in a class by itself. Um, and like you said, for everything that we covered when we did. But um, one of the things I was thinking about too, Jeff, um, and you know, we're obviously both parents, so we can we can talk to this a little bit about is what are p- people have always accused World Showcase of not being kid-friendly. There's nothing for kids to do there. And I kind of disagree with that about Epcot and, and World Showcase as a whole. But what do you think the best thing is for kids to do when you when you bring them to Epcot? It's interesting because I'll kind of I can answer kind of from my my standpoint and then from my kids' standpoint. My kids absolutely love Japan. Um, they are just fascinated with Japan, and it's kind of interesting because, as we discussed last week, there's not a specific attraction or ride or anything like that to really grab them. But they are just they really like it. I think, though, um, the new addition of the Three Caballeros in Mexico, while it's still very, very, I consider somewhat sophisticated and adult, you know, it can entertain the adults just as much, I think the kids are going to immediately identify it with it and enjoy it a lot more than uh, El Rio del Tiempo that was there before. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think I'd have to say that the Kid Cot Fun Stops are, are a great idea, and you can do them in both Future World and in World Showcase. And specifically in World Showcase, I like the idea because it gives kids a chance to interact with the cast members and take something home for free that they worked on and that they made is a real one-of-a-kind souvenir um, and gives you and your kids a chance to talk and kind of meet these people from other other nations. So I, I really like the idea of the KidCot Fun Stops. almost wish they had something like that for, for adults as well. But um, sticking with the kid theme... I think this is probably question nine or so. Um, what do you think? The, well, I guess it's not really only for kids, but what do you think the best place is in, in Epcot, uh, the best of the best, to meet characters, to find characters in, in Epcot? I, I, you know, the obvious choice is the brand new Epcot character connection that just um, uh, went up in uh, Future World. 
But I have to say, I really enjoy the character appearances that happen out in World Showcase. I I especially like when they tie in characters to a specific uh, country. My best example I can think of is how the Robin Hood characters are featured in uh, the United Kingdom. Yeah, I like um, I like being able to find Belle over in France, and I like going back through Morocco all the way into the back where you can find um, Aladdin and the genie, uh, um, and obviously Princess Jasmine, um, kind of in, the, in that little hidden area across yeah. from the restaurant. Um, beautifully themed. I, I just really, really like that a lot. All right, Jeff, let's get to the part that, that I'm sure you and I are most looking forward to. Let's talk about some of the things from the old Epcot, some of the things that aren't there anymore. And I'm sure I know the answer to, to, to this on both of our, our sides, but what do you think the best lost and extinct attraction it was, is? Oh, no doubt Horizons. Yeah. No doubt. Because it was such a, because it was such a, an easy one, because we loved Horizons for so many different reasons, that's why we talked about it for, for two hours or so when we recorded this segment. What do you think maybe is kind of second best of the best as far as lost attractions? I would go with Journey to Imagination. Again, way too much in my I'm on the same wavelength as but, I am. But I but I will throw something else in, and um, I really do miss Seabase Alpha. Um, I'm I'm okay with the recent changes to the the Seas Pavilion. I enjoy it, but I I loved how Seabase Alpha was this self-contained environment that they made you feel you were going below the sea, and you don't really have the sense of that anymore with Nemo and friends, you more or less feel like you're in an aquarium type setting as opposed to traveling beneath the sea as it, as the sea based off experience. And, 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 and you know that the hydrolators weren't real, correct? Just so we're, we're clear. What? Let's move on. I'm going to say world emotion. Actually, <laughs> I really liked world emotion. I thought it was a really fun pavilion. I remember going and as you start to enter the building, kind of circled around on the outside. And we're going to cover World of Motion, obviously, in depth when we cover that on the next in the Epcot Retrospective series. But um, I, I really liked World of Motion. I liked the music. So um, that was one I was kind of sad to see go as well. But what about pavilions as a whole? Um, we're talking about, you know, completely extinct pavilions, at least as they were in their original form, because many of them have kind of changed from what they were. And I don't necessarily just mean horizons being torn down but but some of the other ones that that have really changed over the years i'm probably going to surprise you maybe a little bit on this one but uh, just for an overall pavilion environment i really liked wonders of life um it was it had so much to offer within it um when you went in you had you know three different attractions and then you also had so many interactive exhibits plus Beyond the three major attractions, that being Body Wars, Cranium Command, and The Making of Me, you still had the smaller type things like Goofy About Health and the Anacomical Players, and you had a food venue. And in the early years, you had a very strong retail shop in there, lots lots of food options. And, you know, I think a lot of people who only recently experienced it, say, within the last five to ten years really missed a lot because over time after it opened a lot of things there was this sort of gradual phase out of a lot of those things and when it was at its peak you know shortly after opening in uh, 1988 I believe um, it was just really really just something it had just a lot to offer I was really surprised you didn't say what what I'm going to say which is going to be Communicore the old Communicore just for all the exhibits and the shows and and the technology 
Um, you know, I, I, that's something I really, really miss, especially um, as it originally opened. You know, it's funny when you say that. You're right, because I do feel the same way you do about it. I just almost I don't see it as a pavilion. <laughs> I guess because it's it's sort of the centerpiece that, you know, you described it as the main street of Epcot. And because it's split between Communicore East and Communicore West, I almost sort of see it see it as its own entity separate from everything else and sort of sort of an apples and oranges kind of comparison. I see. Now, that's how I feel about interventions now. Uh, interventions is not something I need to see. There's not a lot in there that I feel compelled to go and see and do, as opposed to Communicore, which, you know, in, in the map in my mind's eye, was something that I had to go do, usually right after hitting Spaceship Earth. Um, I liked spending a lot of time, and the kind of division between the two buildings really, you know, was a non-issue to me. I, th- I think that the interesting thing, though, and if this is and this is probably not going to make sense, but I have to say that Communicore is probably the thing I miss most that has gone away. I mean, as much as I miss Horizons, I really, really, really miss Communicore. It's Julie, isn't it? You miss Julie. <laughs> You're back to Julie. <laughs> I'm not the one with the shrine, but let's move on. So. <laughs> You know, one of the things we talk about when we talk about the old Epcot and the new Epcot is that progression towards moving away from these edutainment, you know, to use that term again, exhibits and pavilions into the introduction of more thrill rides and thrill-based attractions. And while some people like them, some people don't, um, we, we should maybe talk about what we think are the best of them. What, what, what kind of the best place to get a thrill, the best thrill ride in Epcot is today? If you're a fan I- of them. I, I no, I am. Um, I I'm not I'm not a purist in that sense. Um, I'm not I am not someone that dislikes Test Track or Mission Space. Uh, I, I enjoy both of those attractions very much. And I have to say, and you know, I know there's there's a great deal of controversy over it, but I, I am a big fan of Test Track. I really just enjoy the entire experience. And I know it's it's a stark contrast to World of Motion that was there before. And I know a lot of people argue that. There's nothing the least bit futuristic about it, but I still think it sort of plays to the World's Fair theme that Epcot was kind of um, taken from, and I just, I think it's just a fun experience. I really enjoy it. I agree with you, and I felt the same way, especially the first time I rode Mission Space. I had heard all the hype, and I and I rode it early on, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I was kind of, I bought into the whole idea of what the pavilion was trying to do, and I bought into the experience. Um, Maybe just because I, I am the, the tech geek and I loved all the technology that they used. And I feel the same way about Test Track. You know, when, you're, when you get outside and you hit 65 miles an hour, you know, there's something exhilarating about that that really puts that smile on your face. And whether you like the old pavilion or, or maybe you're not crazy about the new pavilion, you can't say that it's not a fun experience. Um, I guess if I had to pick one of the two, I would probably say I, I might even go towards Mission Space. I, I really like Mission Space. Um I, yeah, my only actually, I mean, I feel the same way. I really, really enjoy Mission Space, and the first couple years um, it was there. My family and I we rode it a lot, um, considering that it's you know it can be a very you know, <laughs> disoriented experience. Um, you know, even the kids who can can kind of take it or leave certain thrill rides are, were very much that they were never bothered by it. They really, really always got a big kick out of it. And my only disappointment, I think the only thing that kind of lingers in the back of my mind about Mission Space is is just the disappointment that it never lived up to some of the initial 
uh, concept ideas that were floated out there for a space pavilion. Uh, the space pavilions that were originally conceived, even going back as far as pre-Epcot opening, were very, very large in scope and scale. And unfortunately, Mission Space ended up sort of just being pared down to, you know, one attraction and then, you know, the post-show area. And the things that had been floated out before were some fairly elaborate, you know, big-scale pavilion ideas. Yeah, I was trying to think when I was coming up these, with these questions, a way to kind of do a, a best of the best of, of almost these unrealized concepts. You know, which of these unrealized, maybe that we kind of could do that. Which of these unrealized concepts for Epcot would have been the best? What, what are something that we would have liked to really have seen come in there? I, I think most of what I would pick would be some of the World Showcase ideas, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I really would have loved to have seen the Venezuela Pavilion. Um, I think... You know, the Africa Pavilion, we've kind of got in Animal Kingdom. I think much of, um, so, certainly there were some attractions there that we're not getting in in uh, Animal Kingdom, but I think it's sort of a, a nice consolation. But, um, oh, there's, uh, the, we talked about the bullet train and meet the world over at Japan, but um, I'm drawing a blank here. There was a couple other. Spain, yeah. Israel, Spain, uh, Israel, Soviet, yeah, Soviet the, Union. Yeah, the, the, yeah, Switzerland. Um, the Soviet, the Soviet Union. Actually, I'm glad you said that. That's the one that had come to mind because I did a blog post on it, and there was a con- concept there for a 360 movie that would have really expanded on the whole thing with audio animatronics and multimedia. That sounded like it would have been very, very cool. Yeah, the first thing that came to mind, obviously, especially in light of what we did last week, was were some of the uh, attractions that could have come into Japan because I love the pavilion so much. But the way Equatorial Africa had originally been described and based on the models and the concept art, it really sounded like it would have been so much more of an immersive experience than even what we have over over at Disney's Animal Kingdom um, and really what they were going to do with a, a very big parcel of land in that corner of World Showcase and again that, that area still stands for the most part empty and um, the hope is that maybe one day you know one of these could get built uh, but I, I, I'm going to put both of us, I guess, kind of quickly on the spot because one thing that came to my mind, you know, we talk about things that could have been uh, based on um, announcements and concept art and ideas that Imagineers had. What would be your best of the best pavilion? If you could put a, a new pavilion or a new country or a new part of the world into World Showcase, what would you pick? Hmm. I'll go first because I, I go ahead. <laughs> because yeah, go ahead. I'm putting you on the spot. Um, hands down, I, I would say Egypt. That would be the first thing. Obviously, you know the pyramid, Sphinx, no brainer kind of weenie entrance to the to the attraction um, and pavilion. But again, the culture of the people and and so rich in history and you know beautiful artifacts and what you could do. Uh, you know whether it be shows or attractions, um, different type of museum exhibits. I was always a big you know when I was a kid. Uh, the, the Tutankhamun stuff was very, very popular at the time, and it was kind of making its way around. Um, and I've always been intrigued by um, the the culture and the history of Egypt. That's something I would love to see. I would also love to see uh, an Australia pavilion. Uh, and again, the, the possibilities are, are just endless as to what you could do with that. I would go for India. Uh, India is, you know, I think of all the countries in the world that aren't represented in World Showcase that are in fact just an immense international type of have presence on the world stage, I think India would certainly qualify as one that is out there that certainly doesn't have a representation in Epcot. And I think of all the ideas that have been kind of thrown around, that might be one 
that might have the most possibility of actually coming in. Again, because of how prominent uh, India has become on the world stage, you know, politically and economically and technology-wise and and whatnot, uh, it really would be a great fit there. And to be able to bring that architecture over here and the culture and the food would be amazing. And I think the interesting thing there is, is just what you said, economically, it probably might be the most viable if there is some degree of interest in ever doing it because they have the money to do it. There's no doubt, you know, economically, there are companies over there that would probably be able to sponsor the pavilion. Yeah, I I agree. And uh, this is something that I know, I'm going to put a link up in the show notes. I know this is something that is often the topic of conversation in forums. I know this is something that we've been talking about over at the forums at DisneyWorldTribute.com. I'll put a link up to that. I would love to hear other people's opinions as to what they would like to hear. But let's just stay real quick in World Showcase. And so many of the pavilions are are just so beautiful to look at uh, from the promenade and inside and outside. Which of the pavilions think is the most beautiful architecturally? Which has the best of the best architecture of all the pavilions? Uh, You're not going to agree with me whatsoever, but I'll qualify because I, I... It's a personal qualification in that I am very, very much in love with Pacific Northwest style and architecture and such. And so, of course, Canada is my is my pick. I I love how the how it's structured. I like how you kind of climb up into it. You go around the back, just the whole experience of walking around the back. You have the large um, hotel to the right, but the smaller shops and even, you know, the uh, sort of the the gift shop at the front, which is kind of, you know, the, the, the great Northwest kind of frontier look. I, I love all that combination, like I said, because, you know, we literally, our home is decorated in kind of a Northwest type feel. So as I said, I, I kind of lean towards that and I really enjoy that. Yeah, as much as I like Japan, as much as I like some of the other ones, um, hands down, far and away above anything else is Italy. Uh, I just think the, the recreation of St. Mark's Square and you know, Venice and the Doge's Palace and, and so much more. Um, the, the intricate detail, really spend some time and go over and look at the pavilion and see uh, just the wonderful kind of marble work that, that's brought in, um, you know, and obviously been been recreated and um, uh, and the Campanile and, and the gardens in the back and, and the statues. Um, I just think it, it's just absolutely wonderful. And what I would love to see more in Italy, would I have loved to have seen some kind of attraction, or, or as we talked about, what could have been some sort of, uh, you know, uh, an Italian village, uh, like a Pinocchio village, that they had thought about something like that, um, would have been wonderful. But I just think it's it's just a beautiful um, b- pavilion inside and out. So, um, all right, we'll, we'll, nothing, nothing to do with the fact that your last name's Mongello. Hey, listen, if I don't say Italy, you know, things will happen. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> Come over to my, your last name is, my, my last name is Mangello. I live in New Jersey. <laughs> hey, yo, what are we? So, <laughs> but all right. Um, what? Obviously, everybody loves Illuminations. No brainer. What do you think the best place to watch it is? Yeah, here again, I I liked Canada, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm probably the only person in the world to say that. But it's got a sentimental reason, and that's because. I was at the top of the steps there. I climbed up to the top of the steps because I didn't. I had people in front of me down below, and I, I just locked into a very kind of prime location for it, and it was, in fact, the first place I ever saw it. So, uh, You know what? I, I don't wholeheartedly disagree with you because there are a number of places in Canada. And listen, 
I'm, I'm totally, I totally get having to climb up steps to see over people. So I, you know, I have to do it all the time. But the, um, I, I go back to Rose and Crown uh, because if you're lucky enough to time it just right and get a table um, with a view of the lagoon, it's almost like your own little private viewing area. Uh, and again, we're, we're not talking about some of those private locations that you could rent out and do illuminations, dessert parties. I'm talking about just places on the promenade. I think that I think Rose and Crown is one of them. Um, I also like going over by the um, the Cantina de San Angel over in Mexico. And again, if you can get a place right by um, the water right there, it's, it's a beautiful place to, to check it out as well. So let's think what else. Um, uh, we, you know, we talk about hidden treasures on the show all the time and some of these overlooked things and, and um, things that maybe people don't realize they can do or should do or, or just kind of walk by. What do you think one of the best hidden treasures of Epcot might be? And it could be a pavilion. It could be a place to, to sit. It could be something that you see or something that you do. I'm going to go way out of the box on this one and say the music. Um, and that is because I was almost going to throw a question at you as to what your favorite piece of Epcot music is or has been. We're getting but there. Don't the worry. Music- <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, bit. Um, no, the music to me is the hidden treasure of Epcot. And it has, I think the music is something that has the most lasting impression on me. Uh, the, when I was kidding at the very beginning about saying, you know, cue the main entrance medley. Um, that's what I liked about Epcot is from the minute you walked in, you were immersed in the whole atmosphere. And so many of the early attractions had great music. And still today we have great music. We have um, great music in Mission Space with the song Destiny. They've recreated the um, Imagination, uh, One Little Spark song for uh, Imagination right now. I in the soaring, as you mentioned when we talked about soaring, that is one of the most powerful pieces of music I think anywhere in the theme parks. It, it is so moving and so well fit for the attraction that I, I, it's it's a subtle thing as we talked about in our music uh, retrospective. But to me, it is it is it is something that people don't think about, but has always been a powerful thing to me there. Yeah, real quick, you know, a couple of uh, hidden treasures that came to mind that just that I, I enjoy when I'm there. Uh, one of the are the jammers, and I remember the first time I saw them, I, I just totally didn't get the fact that they weren't janitors. They really were this kind of percussion group that that plays on trash cans. I, I think they're a wonderful, wonderful uh, surprise to most guests. And the other, it, it's silly, it's ridiculous, but as you're walking out of Future World at night, uh, I, there's something the about fiber, the fiber optics, the twinkling sidewalks. I hate yes. to say it, it's true. Yes, no, no, that you're that is great. That is well. The first time we noticed them, that was it was just I remember um, my son was very small and his it was you know you're dead tired, you're dragging yourself out, and it was just like an instant rejuvenation mm-hmm. for all of us. It was just this like a little piece of magic when you first experienced it. Exactly, and that's that's exactly the, the word that comes to mind when you look at it. You kind of get that little twinkling, you know thing going on and uh, there is something magical about it and it's uh, it's probably a very simple effect but um, it's something I think is really neat but let's go back to the music because I was going to talk uh, in a couple of questions about maybe the best uh, attraction theme song of today and maybe the best you know attraction theme song from the old Epcot we'll call it the old Epcot for lack of a better word or, or pavilions that are no longer here you go first I guess from today um, I do love the, the entrance medley. I love the Interventions Plaza music, um, Standing by the Fountain. I, I really, really enjoy that. Um, but there's something about Soren, and I am not too proud to admit that it does. It chokes me up, and it, it gets me. 
Um, we'd be remiss, of course, not to say Golden Dream from American Adventure. Um, again, for the same reason. You want to talk about an evocative and a, mu- uh, a moving piece of music. Um, and, of course, I guess you have to throw in Illuminations as well, just because of, of how powerful that piece of music really is. Yeah, I would... Actually, We Go On at the end of um, Illuminations would be my hands-down favorite pick. And, as you said, Golden Dream and Soren uh, would be a very, very, very close second. And what about the old stuff? I mean, I, I actually really... <laughs> I like the I really like some of the early music better than some of the newer ones and some of the attraction music, Tomorrow's Child and the original Universe of Energy. And yes, I like the old, you know, Listen to the Land uh, because that's that's what I grew up hearing. That and that's what what I, when I was saying about the hidden treasures and sort of this legacy of music that Epcot has. So much of it goes back to those original um, compositions back then, and just what you mentioned and kind of to throw into that you know and if people they're, they're just going to scream at us because all we do is talk about horizons but horizons <laughs> had a great piece of music that similar to um listen to the land mixed the children's chorus in with um adult vocals very very effectively um kind of added that degree of childhood childhood delight whimsy to what is were fairly serious subjects and um, and it, just to throw back into, I, I, I mentioned it before, but I still am I'm a very big fan of the Destiny song from Mission mm-hmm. Space in terms of the new stuff. I am as well. And and One Little Spark, obviously, the, the original One Little Spark was just, it, it was brilliant. Um, and, and, you know, people forget maybe about the old or, or maybe laugh at the old kitchen cabaret and food rock stuff. But it was fun. I mean, it was very fun. And they were making, educating you about nutrition, you know, campy and fun and, and satirical all at the same time and and again it might be just my sense of nostalgia but i really enjoyed those as well sadly you know i think of all not to go off on too too much of a you know off topic but when you mentioned kitchen cabaret i think if if we picked a underrated too often forgotten original attraction i think that is the one um I enjoyed it much more than Food Rocks, which ultimately replaced it. But I, not that I don't like Food Rocks, I did enjoy that one as well. But Kitchen Cabaret just had sort of an old-fashioned sensibility to it, and was was rooted not so much in you know hard rock and roll, but as sort of more pop standards, traditional stuff. And you know, while we're talking about music, real quickly, I guess maybe we can talk about. Um, you made a brief reference to it before. All the different musical acts, and I guess you could throw the jammers in there, and all the different musical acts that are in. World Showcase. So many of them are just so wonderful. Do you have any? What do you think of the best out of all the ones? Maybe in World Showcase. I, I like the Beatles cover band the best. Like I think I mentioned that one before, but I do like uh, Off Kilter uh, at Canada. I do mm-hmm. enjoy them as well. Again, you know, Patriot, whatever. I love the Voices of Liberty, but beyond that, I, you remember Nova Era that used to sing in Italy. Um, they kind of looked like they were kind of like they dressed it in very classical garb. And they played sort of a modern, neoclassical um, take on on some of the classic music. I, I really, really used to enjoy them, and unfortunately, they haven't been around for a number of years. Uh, I also like Mo Rockin in Morocco. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. So, yeah, that's um, What about, and maybe I'm not going to articulate this well, so much of, of Epcot is about showcasing new technologies and advancements in technologies and as we cover the pavilions in our retrospective series we talk about some of the technology behind you know imagination and horizons what do you think the best use of some of these new technologies is in any of the new or old attractions or pavilions at epcot 
Oh, man. Uh, all right, I'll answer first, and maybe it'll kind of help you. Uh, uh, because when I was thinking Folks, about the he question... Did, he did not give me any of these questions in advance, and it obviously shows. <laughs> well, I didn't write any of my answers out because I wanted this to be something spontaneous. But as I was writing the question, the first thing that came to mind was Turtle Talk. And it's just the, the, it's a technology that ha- wasn't used anywhere else in the parks, um, you know, anywhere in the Magic Kingdom previously or any other theme parks. Um, it's obviously incredibly interactive. You want to talk about a living character initiative and having kids and adults being able to interact with the pavilions. I think this is probably the, the best example of it. We're seeing it now over at Monsters, Inc. I think we're going to continue to see this uh, in other places like Toy Story Mania and obviously other new attractions that are coming. But um, the technology they used is just brilliant and it's seamless and it and you totally buy into it. What he said. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Though. When we when we saw Turtle Talk for the first time last year, it was an amazing, amazing experience. And as you said, as I sat there and experienced it, um, all I could think of is this was the way of the future. So. I mean, other things that came to mind was the use of the smells in Horizons. And today you, you have it in Soren. And the image works came to mind. And, and at the time when it opened, just the technologies that we were able to play around with. And again, they're, they're they're so primitive at this point, like being able to paint on a touchscreen or paint on a wall or the, or the pin tables or the sensor tunnel. But at the time, just seemed so thrilling to me as a geek and as a kid. Um, I, I was just fascinated by it. I think that's why I and you and so many people have such an attachment to Epcot was because of this was the first time that we were introduced and had a chance to get hands-on and play with some of these technologies. Especially the hydrolator technology. Still fascinated by that. Yeah. So much for the Florida water table. They just dug right down and, and well, so be it. Um, what about what about some of the best things to do at night? I think Epcot, like all the theme parks, is a completely different experience at night. What do you like doing? What do you think the best of the best thing to do at night is? And here I'll go non-traditional because even the way Disney structures sort of subtly or indirectly structures your experience, everybody thinks of World Showcase at night. Everybody thinks that that's where you go. Um, they basically even have staggered the hours to reflect that. They want everybody to basically head there for illuminations. And that's kind of the pattern that flows. I love Future World at night. I love the Imagination Pavilion and how the the water uh, features uh, are lit. Uh, I like I just I like it also because it clears out to some extent and you have a sense of it being just a little bit more low-key, but still very, very cool, just walking around the pavilions, that kind of the futuristic architecture. I, I really enjoy that at night. Yeah, you mentioned World Showcase, and that was the first thing I was going to touch on, because in my experience over the years, there were a number of people that I knew that would say, you know, I'm not all that crazy about World Showcase, but what they were doing was they were walking there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they were just kind of, you know, they weren't eating because it wasn't lunch or dinner time. And it was hot, and they were just kind of walking past the pavilions because there wasn't a lot of attractions. I said, what you really need to do is, you know, really explore and 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 get the whole experience. And I think the best way to do that is at night. And if you time it just right, walking around the promenade, then finding your spot for illuminations and getting something to eat. And, you know, staying and just kind of browsing and, and moseying your way out. Did I say mosey? Um, kind of wandering your way out you of sure that. sure did, partner. <laughs> Our Future World segment, I'm, I'm Future World, Frontier World, Frontierland segment is coming up next. But, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, 
But um, yeah, I agree with you about Future World as well. Um, I just think it's beautiful at night, and we talked about you know the twinkling lights and just the music. And again, when when it's empty and the the ball, the spaceship Earth is just lit up the way it is. It's absolutely beautiful at night. Um, let's see what else. What about the um, what about the best place to shop? And it might seem like an obvious choice, but keep in mind all the world showcase pavilions all the different pavilions um in future world what do you think the best place is to shop in in epcot okay i gotta answer it in three ways because it's again i don't it's apples and oranges a a little bit to me so i want to qualify you know my picks for the best and i love japan you know we talked about mitsukoshi last week I also love the China shop, and I hear a lot of people really, really critical of that particular store. I've, I've read some reviews of you know people online, and they just absolutely hate it. But I just I don't know. I just and I never I don't think I I think I've bought one or two items in the entire 20 years it's been there, 25 years it's been there. But I just I really enjoy browsing the store. Uh, I like the Canada store as well. Just going back to my love of anything Northwestern, and my third pick or other pick is actually and I hope Jessica over it uh, if if we can dream at blogspot.com will forgive me for this but mouse mouse gear is cool but I miss Centaurian. <laughs> and again that's the as I wrote the question that was what came to mind was mm-hmm. again mouse gear is, is a great shop but there was something about the old Centaurian both the way it was laid out and the merchandise that they had that was the first thing that came to my mind and again it might just be that nostalgic in us and it also it also played into the whole overall feel of communicore what communicore was and we've talked about that and you mentioned that just a little bit earlier um this kind of self-enclosed type of environment that was still very open and you know you could walk out of communicore and walk into the hallways and such corridors and it was just a very neat environment and yeah and this little cry a little here. <laughs> Take <laughs> over a, a retail store. Take <laughs> Excuse me. I'll be back in a second. Well, you know, with what's coming up now with with Epcot's 25th, and and there's hints that we're going to see some of this retro merchandise and some changes coming. Um, you might you might not have to weep just so much and be able to kind of get your <laughs> fix when you go back. But if we, I don't, I don't know. Again, I don't know how to maybe express this question the right way. But if we were kind of to go back to the opening year of Epcot Center. Um, because that's what we're celebrating with with Celebration 25 and the rededication ceremony. Uh, what do you think was the real best of the best back then? The thing or the place or the attraction or the memory that just kind of encompassed it all for you that makes Epcot so important to you today? And I'm not it, going first because I don't have an answer to this yet. So, and it, It's an intangible. It's it's an intangible in that it, it's what it represented. It, it was all about when taken as a collective whole, Epcot was an idealistic view of the future and where, as a civilization or as a people, we were going. Uh, when, you, when you were at Epcot, you felt good about the world. You, it celebrated all that was good and right. It celebrated innovation. It celebrated imagination. It celebrated international brotherhood. And that... I just remember when I first first couple years that I went to Epcot, I was it was I was all about Epcot. In, in those two years that I was going to Disney World, I I was just all about Epcot. I, I loved Epcot, and it's because when I literally walked out the gate at night, 
I felt good about things. I felt good about the world. I thought, you know, hey, there is good going to happen. You know, things are a mess, but you know what? There is, there is innovation. There's imagination. There's, there is a, a quality out there that this is celebrating that is still out there among we as a people, as as citizens on this planet. That, and I know it's it's sentimental and it's schmaltzy, but I think that's what so many people got out of Epcot. I think when you hear so many, you know, what we, you know, we refer to as purists and I'm, I'm not always sure that that's a complimentary term <laughs> but I think what so many people when we when we wax sentimental about Epcot Center of you know 20 years ago I think that's that intangible thing that we all walked out with and that so many people today can't quite understand what we're talking about mm-hmm. um, it's very idealistic it's very sentimental it's just very a positive feeling but it's really that kind of intangible thing that you know we just all identify with and again, we are kindred spirits because I was going to talk as well about that positive kind of feel that you got. Because I, I, you know, when I went as a kid, I totally bought into what Epcot was doing and what Epcot was selling. And I don't mean selling in a, in a material sense, but selling as far as conceptually what it was selling as far as believing in you know the promise of tomorrow and what tomorrow could bring and what we as a people could do together and what our, our potentials were and look at the the use of technologies in our daily lives how our lives are going to be made better um, by all of us working together and uh, i distinctly remember buying and reading the souvenir books in the car ride back home and just totally being wrapped up in in what epcot represented and like you it instantly became my favorite park and a lot of people couldn't understand why they didn't maybe get you know, they thought it was maybe too educational or they didn't understand where all the rides were uh, like the Magic Kingdom. But to this day, I still kind of feel that way. And that, I'm going to follow it up with, with this question, Jeff, is do you think today Epcot still embodies that same spirit um, that maybe it, it did back in 1982? It struggles with it. It, it, it's, it definitely struggles with it. And it's, it's, it's a topic that's been certainly open for debate these past couple you know, a few years, you know, I've participated in the debate online through my blog and it's, it, it doesn't embody it quite the way it did, but I think it's because the world has changed. I think in so many ways, you know, with this information age that, that Spaceship Earth predicted, you know, 25 years ago, Spaceship Earth predicted this, we were on the, the beginning of this dramatic information age that was just going to literally change our lives. And it's happened. We, we, as testament to that, we sit here on this podcast, engaging in a totally different type of communication that was not even conceived of 25 years ago when Epcot opened. So, we we are very much a part of the prophecy that Epcot was putting forth back then. But I think, in so many ways, it's it's made the world a little bit more cynical, and it makes that type of very idealistic message harder to promote and harder to conceptualize. And I think in many ways, the Imagineers and the company over the past 10 to 15 years have gotten a little jaded in terms of not necessarily embracing that message. But I think it's coming back. I think we're seeing signs, you know, with the Spaceship Earth refurbishment, with this very distinct embracing of a 25th anniversary celebration when one had not been planned originally. I think there are are folks within the Disney company and within Epcot specifically that do want to get back to that a little bit more and I think we're seeing signs that it's going to happen. Well, you made reference to the change in communication and and now Disney, you know, we are we as fans are are given a voice by what we're doing and and I'm happy to hear 
that Disney had listened. But the, the, the other question I was going to ask you, too, was, you know, do you think things like Turtle Talk with Crush and The Seas with Nemo and even Test Track, do you think that those kind of things are good or bad or are we getting away from the original intent of Epcot? I, I think there have been some missteps and I will freely admit that I, I thought The Seas with Nemo and Friends was a bit of a misstep. I, I love the concepts there. I, I, I very much enjoy those attractions, but they certainly don't um, fit what was originally conceived. And I think the people that created Epcot, the people that were truly behind, it's, you know, you know the main name that comes to mind is Marty Sklar. Um, but you know, we've also, you've talked to Ralph Kent, um, a lot of other folks. And when you talk to these folks, I remember having a very specific conversation with Charlie Ridgway and saying, you know, what do you think of Epcot? And his response was, it's not what it was. It's not what it was intended to be. And I think that there's some really great things that happen in Epcot, but they're just they're just a little bit off kilter to what it was. So it's it's hard because I enjoy them. I, I love soaring. As we talked about, soaring mm-hmm. is my favorite attraction right now currently, yet soaring over California doesn't quite fit right. <laughs> the land pavilion. There's a disconnect and it's a very easy disconnect to fix in that in that case. And I think that I think Simo uh, Simo whew, Nemo <laughs> the seats with Nemo was you know, conglomerating my words there. Um, that's not even a... God, Jeff. <laughs> the, the seas with Nemo and friends could have very easily been incorporated into the Living Seas Pavilion without necessarily totally abandoning the sea base alpha theme, uh, much in the way that Goofy Over Health was in uh, mm. World's uh, Wonders of Life and the Caballeros are in Mexico. I think that there could have been a degree of compatibility Um so, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly a passionate debate that's going on out there in the online world and probably in the real world as well. And it certainly sounds like it's a debate that's currently going on in the halls of Disney management and Imagineering. Well, you know, obviously the argument has been that Future World is, is currently a misnomer, much like people accuse Tomorrowland of being, although I argue that Tomorrowland has always been somewhat of a misnomer, but specifically Future World. And, and again, there was years ago discussion of, of the name of Future World changing to Discovery Land, because that's really the point of this half of Epcot was not about the future, but about new discoveries. That's why the seas works and Nemo is your great guide to be there and, you know, discovering America by looking, um, by, by experiencing Soren. Uh, I'm not sure that that's the case. I, I think Future World, when it opened, was about the future, was about embracing the future and what we as a as a united people could do together uh, with our sense of imagination and with our use of technology. Um, so maybe the name is somewhat um, is somewhat inappropriate, you know, currently based on on the direction that it's taking. It's it's a difficult challenge, and I think one of the the things that was really hard when Epcot was conceived was I think they were looking at things that maybe in, a, in terms of a, of a decade plan like 10 years out and then things would be refurbished and upgraded and everything like that and one of the biggest things is that the world kind of started moving a lot faster than Epcot could move to keep up and I think that's where the challenge became and it's hard you know it, it's very hard to create something that is innovative that's speaking to innovation that's speaking to future technology when the technology is going to catch up and pass that attraction <laughs> inside of four or five years. And 
it's the, it's a difficult thing. So you know, I don't want to be overly critical when I say you know I don't think things like Nemo fits or Soren is kind of a little disconnected. It, it's challenging. I, I can imagine it's challenging. But like I said, the signs are there. I mean, I think you know, Spaceship Earth is certainly going to be really indicative of which way um, the future of Epcot's going to go. I really think it's going to be a benchmark in terms of the development of the park. I, again, you're, you're reading my mental notes because I was going to say, I think what we're going to see when Spaceship Earth reopens is going to maybe appease some of the critics who uh, didn't like the introduction of, of characters so blatantly like Nemo in the seas and even kind of the transformation of the land pavilion into this sort of you know airport terminal that it was kind of designed to now become with, with Soren downstairs and even Journey into Imagination being very far removed from what the original was and we've covered that at length over the past few weeks with the different guests and the discussions that we've had um, but I think you're right I think based on what we're hearing so far I think um, Spaceship Earth may be kind of getting back to embodying some of those uh, initial concepts and ideals and I, I for one am very excited um, for what's to come when it, when it reopens later on this year yeah we're you and I I mean when we do these segments we, we very rarely ever you know, venture into the politics of the company and those type of issues. But I think it is important to note that, you know, these last, you know, five to 10 years, especially, you know, there were internal politics that were, that were playing significantly on the events of the parks and the development of, of the parks and the capital expenditures of the parks. And I think, again, reflecting what I just said about Epcot needing to constantly being be in a state of kind of upgrade just by the very nature of its theme, you know, those those happenings really did play, you know, negative to some extent. And I think what's very, very important um, is Bob Iger just recently at a conference, you know, very much stressed that they were going to increase the capital expenditures for the theme parks. Uh, and that was very, very good news. And it wasn't something that, you know, he was on CNN proclaiming this was at an investment conference, which was very much... I believe, on the business side of the news. And to hear him make those kind of statements was very encouraging. I agree. And I think the changes that have taken place over the past few years are going to kind of refocus the direction of the company uh, and specifically what we're going to see in the theme parks. I think we're going to see uh, a brand new level of creativity brought into the theme parks. I think we're starting to see that already. Um, I think we're going to see more attention paid, not just dollar-wise, but you know, direction and focus um, with what's going on and, and maybe kind of going back to some of those um, older ideals. And again, I've said it before, I think we're, we're starting to pay witness to what in the future is now historically going to be a very important time for the company and a very good time for us as fans uh, of what's going on. And um, I know that they've talked about not opening the, you know a fifth gate in Orlando anytime soon, and that's not a bad thing because now the focus is going to go back to what they can improve in the parks currently. You're seeing that in Epcot now. We're going to, I think after the after October 1st, we're going to start to see even more things announced um, that are going to be coming that are really going to make a lot of those purists, as we call them, um, very happy. So that um, Jeff, I guess it's going to do it. My, our, our very quick 2025 20, best of the best have now lasted almost an hour. Surprise, surprise. But uh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> this was a lot of fun. And, you know, kind of exploring Epcot 
um, in a little bit of a different way, just as we, I know how excited we both are about what's coming up for so many different reasons next week with the first um, and with Celebration 25 that you are obviously going to be at and participating in um, as well. So, um, yes, let's uh, just throw it out there to everybody that, you know, we are going to be there, both Lou and I, and uh, we are really, really looking forward to it. I, from people that have contacted me, uh, it sounds like there's just going to be a lot folks that listen to the show so please let's 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 meet let's introduce ourselves let's say hi and let's have some fun that that yeah this is definitely gonna be a good time and jeff as always thank you very much you can go and visit jeff at his new url which is 2719hyperion.com and then i'll take you over to his blog and again if you enjoy the stuff that jeff and i talk about on the show you're really gonna enjoy what you can read there um it's a site i recommend you check daily so jeff my friend I will see you in uh, in just a few days um, at the new slash old Epcot, and um, yeah. <laughs> don't don't cry. <laughs> Sorry, give me a <laughs> Getting misty. We better we better sign off here. <laughs> thanks again, buddy. It was a lot of fun. All right, thanks, Luke. Let's get right into this week's email. The first comes from Armando from Juarez, Mexico, who writes, Lou, I'm a longtime listener and avid fan. I don't know how you find the time to do everything you do, plus have a career and family. My hat's off to you, my friend, and now to my question. I'm attending a seminar in Walt Disney World during the early days of October 2007. It runs from Sunday through Thursday, and according to the schedule, it's going to be very intense. I reluctantly convinced my wife to join me on Wednesday so we could stay through Sunday, just the two of us, she put up a fight, but eventually I was able to convince her. She claims that Walt Disney World is for families and kids and not really for couples. I tell her that it's the number one destination in the honey- for honeymoons in the U.S. What can you suggest I do once she arrives so that we have a magical time and she'll, be wa- she'll want to return in the future without the kids? Don't get me wrong, I enjoy my kids to death and love going with them, but I feel as a couple we can also have a wonderful time and experience things in a different light. Armando. Armando, you're 100% right as, uh, about a number of things. First of all, that it is the number one honeymoon destination for couples, and it is a great place to go even without your kids. My wife and I go all the time, and it's a very, very different experience. Um, I think what you really need to do for her is balance some adults-only activities along with allowing her kind of inner child to come out and enjoy the theme parks as well. And to that end, you know, do something like a character meal at Chef Mickey's or a character meal somewhere where her favorite character is going to be so she can really, like I said, allow herself to be a kid again and and enjoy it that way. But balance that as well with things like having some nice meals, maybe at an upscale restaurant like the California Grill or Flying Fish. Maybe spend an evening walking around the World Showcase Promenade, having a glass of wine, heading over to the Boardwalk or Downtown Disney, going to see something like Cirque du Soleil, uh, even do some romantic couples things like take a carriage ride uh, along the Sasagula River, go to a spa together, or if you're you know if you're athletic, go play golf, go play tennis. Do things that you could only do as couples that you wouldn't normally be able to do with family. And again, also balance some of those th- those things you would do together, but maybe might enjoy in a little bit of a different way going without your kids. And I'm sure 
um, she'll see exactly what you're trying to do and she'll see what kind of a different experience it is. And by all means, after you come back, let us know how it goes. Katharina, who is Weibo on the forum, says, Lou, I'm going to Walt Disney World in December. I've heard about the fire barge burnoff at the end of Illuminations. Is that something that anyone can generally hang around and watch for at the end of Illuminations? Or is it something special? When do they generally do it? Thanks for the great podcasts and books. Uh, Katharina, what you're talking about is the fire barge burnoff uh, after Illuminations is over. Basically, what happens is before the, the large barge can go backstage and prepare for the next night's show, they've got to burn off the excess liquid propane. So what they do is they wait about an hour, hour and a half until after the park closes and they'll empty it out by basically just burning it off. And it, it creates this beautiful giant flame. Um, you know, some people have always wondered, is that the barge exploding? Is there something going on? But they do it really every night to burn off any excess. Anybody's allowed to stay and watch. You know, usually around that time, Epcot cast members are starting to uh, ask people to kind of slowly make their way out to the exit. But if you do want to hang around, it is something you can catch. You can also catch it uh, if you're over by the boardwalk somewhere. You can usually see it from there as well. So uh, something very cool, very interesting to watch. Um, if you definitely have a chance to hang out, I suggest staying to see it. Next email says, Lou, my wife and I got married last year on September 16th, 2006, but we couldn't afford a honeymoon at the time. So we decided we'd go for a honeymoon at our one-year anniversary and are staying at Coronado Springs. To get to the point, I heard about all the little things Disney will do for you just to make it all the more special. She hasn't been to Disney since she was 10 and she's 23 now. And I've heard about things they'll do special for honeymooners. I want to call Disney and let them know it's our honeymoon so I could surprise my wife with this. Like, I heard your hotel will give you a pin that says it's your honeymoon. Coral Reef will make you a special menu. I'm not in it for the free stuff. Just want to give my wife that little extra treatment if possible. We have reservations for the hoop de doo on the 22nd, Captain Jack's on the 26th, Coral Reef on the 27th, France for the 28th, and the Crystal Palace on the 29th. I don't even think about this until I heard on the show, but I was unsure if I should call and say anything as it was about a year ago when we got married. Any input would be great. Sorry so long. Love the show. Can't wait to see you at Coronado on the 29th. Oh, great. Tom, that's from Tom Reck. Um, Tom, I look forward to seeing you as well. Congratulations on your anniversary slash uh, belated honeymoon. And absolutely, uh, whether it's your honeymoon, your birthday, your uh, anniversary, whatever it is, tell anybody and everybody. Call ahead. Let the resort know that you're coming down. It is going to be a special event. You're coming down for your you know honeymoon and anniversary. Tell all the restaurants. Call them ahead as well. Say, listen, I have an ADR for such and such. It's my wife's anniversary. I just want to make it something special. And I guarantee Disney will go out of the way to do that. Oftentimes when you are making ADRs, they might even ask you, are you coming down for any sort of a special occasion? If they haven't, by all means, take the affirmative step and go ahead and tell them. And they may just do one of the two of those little things. Again, not that you're looking for something free, something just to make it a little bit more of a magical experience. Um, hope when I see you on the 29th, you'll be able to tell me if any of those things actually worked out for you and your wife. Next email comes from Victoria who says, Hey Lou, I've emailed you a few times and I'm currently planning my Sweet 16 and I thought, who would be the best person to ask for a little help? I hope I know you have a lot of emails to read, so I'll try not to type a novel. So here are my plans so far for this very short trip, but I still think it should be great. I'm planning a Sweet 16, which isn't a big highlight because I can drive and I can now go to the Utilidors on the Keys to the Kingdom tour and possibly become a princess lookalike. So I'm taking four friends that are ages 15 and 16. My mom will also be there for most of the party. Since we want to spend more money on food, tickets, and merchandise, we're going to go in with a value resort. I'm torn between all of them except sports. I've stayed in movies, and I love the new music rooms, and Pop Century seems fun. We want to get adjoining rooms. 
Which do I think would be the most fun? Hands down, Pop Century, I think is the best of the value resorts. I've said it uh, time and time again. The theming, the food court, the pool, everything that it has to offer, I think you guys would really, really like uh, Pop Century. Uh, let's see. We want to do Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party on our first night, Saturday, MGM, then Epcot, then Fantasmic, Sunday, go to Downtown Disney for a quick spree in the world of Disney. What's the best place to celebrate with birthday cake? And you asked of Primetime and MGM. I think that Primetime is a great idea. I think uh, I, I like Primetime for the food. I like it for the atmosphere. And if you really want to kind of make a big deal about your birthday, you can be assured that all your cousins in the kitchen and, uh, and everybody else that's waiting on you will definitely make a big deal about it. I think you guys would enjoy that a lot. Any ideas for Saturday night? Nothing too crazy and crowded like downtown Disney. Uh, you asked about the pool. I think a pool is a great way to kind of wind down, spend some time with your friends, especially over at Pop Century. There's always a lot of activities going on there, especially at night. Uh, again, it's not going to cost you anything. You can spend as long, you know, as much time as you want there, just kind of hanging out, get something to eat. You can really make a great night of it, um, you know, to, to enjoy your birthday on Saturday night. So uh, that's your outline. That's what I have right now. Coming up fast. I'm excited. Write me back when you can, Victoria. Victoria, again. Uh, what better place to spend your Sweet 16 than Walt Disney World? And like I said for the previous question, make sure when you go down, you let people know it's your birthday so you get that it little extra bit of Disney magic. Mike from Indiana wrote in and said, Hey Lou, with all that the parks have to offer, some vacations just demand time outside of the commando environment. What do you consider the best non-park activities at Walt Disney World? My wife and I have been to the world over 20 times and are headed back in January. We have four days left on our 10-day park hoppers and are trying to think of new ideas for things to do to kill the time on the other days. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for all you do. Keep up the great show and keep up the good work. Um, Mike, you're right. As much as I always talk about going commando style and, and time not spent in the parks is time wasted. I'm, of course, saying that half-jokingly because you really can go down to Walt Disney World for, you know, a three, four days. And there's so much to do outside the parks. You can still have a great time without ever, have, ever having had to have step foot in any of them. Um, for example, if you are the athletic type, there are plenty of championship golf courses. There's horseback riding at Fort Wilderness. Um, at Fort Wilderness, there's the off-road Segway Tour. If you're not maybe a regular golfer and want to do a little, there's miniature golf as well. There's the three different miniature golf courses you could do. If you're into maybe some water-based activities, you could take a variety of watercraft out either at Downtown Disney, over at the Polynesian, at the Grand Floridian, or the Contemporary. Even if you're not staying there, you can still go and take advantage of the watercraft. Um, you can go to the water parks. Obviously, there's Typhoon Lagoon. There's Blizzard Beach. You can make a full day out of either one of those. You can go parasailing on Bay Lake if you really want to be adventurous. Um, shopping. There's plenty of places to go shopping. Obviously, Downtown Disney. You could also go and browse through some of the shops at the various resorts. Each one of them has something a little bit different and things you normally won't find anywhere else on property. You can also take some time and really explore all the different dining options that there are around property. And again, I suggest going to try some of the different restaurants, maybe at some of the resorts uh, that you might not be staying at, because people, I think, often don't do that due to time constraints. You know, if you're down there for three, four days and you're staying at a certain resort, you want to maximize your time in the parks. You might not take the time to go back to your hotel and then go out to another resort to dine there, but there, there's plenty of wonderful restaurants um, all around uh, all the resorts, so you should definitely take this this opportunity to maybe explore some of those for lunch and for dinner. Uh, for evenings, of course, head on down to downtown Disney. You can spend hours down there shopping, uh, again, eating, uh, going to some of the bars and clubs. You can go down to the boardwalk. 
Uh, also, maybe spend some time at your resort pool. Uh, so many of the pools are so well-themed, you can really spend a day or, or spend a few hours enjoying that. Places like Stormalong Bay and the Polynesian's pools and even Pop Centuries are just exceptional. Uh, at night, you could also do things like Lanuba. And like I said, enjoy maybe walking uh, along the uh, downtown Disney promenade, visiting some of the different restaurant, bars, and clubs, whatnot. If you have a car and really want to do some daytime exploring, head on over to Celebration. Get an idea and see what Celebration is. You can shop and browse downtown, see exactly what this, this uh, you know, Disney's community actually looks like. Um, if you are, you know, maybe a kid at heart or a gamer or want to do something adventurous, go down to Disney Quest. You can do it on a rainy day. You can do it during the day. You can do it at night. There's plenty of things to do at Disney Quest in downtown Disney. And if you really want to um, take it to another level, you can try something out like the Richard Petty driving experience over by the Magic Kingdom. You can either drive the car, you could ride along. From people that I know that have done it, they've really, really enjoyed it. So if that's something that your speed, pardon the pun, um, that's something you can really enjoy. So again, there, there's so, so much to do um, in and around Walt Disney World that you can easily spend time outside the theme parks and still have a great time. Elizabeth in Edmond, Oklahoma wrote and says, Lou, love your podcast. Thank you. Please keep up the great work. It's a highlight of my week. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'd appreciate suggestions for dining with my family at Epcot. There'll be three adults, a three-year-old, and an eight-month-old who's not dining. We're planning to spend the day at World Showcase on December 21st. We're doing the Future World activities on an earlier date, and we'll be having lunch that day at Le Cellier and dinner at the Garden Grill Character Meal. What would you suggest for lunch or dinner options? My family tends to be not very adventurous in dining. Will the restaurant be open in Italy? Have you heard of anyone who's tried it? Or are we too late for ADRs? Uh, Elizabeth, as I covered earlier in the news section, uh, it, the restaurant is open. They're currently not taking ADRs, but I assume that by December they absolutely will be. But if you want to try maybe a couple of other things, here's just a few suggestions. Um, the first thing that came to my mind when you were talking about going with family was going over to the beer garden in Germany. It's a real fun, fun environment. Uh, the buffet has a great selection of different uh Dishes, again, nothing too adventurous, but it will give you a chance to sample a couple different things. I think the kids would really enjoy uh, the music and the atmosphere in there. Uh, the other thing that came to mind in World Showcase was Mexico. It's a little dark, but again, the atmosphere inside is really nice, and I think the three-year-old might get a kick out of you know the whole uh, theming inside. Uh, the other place that came to mind in World Showcase was Morocco. Again, this might be a little bit too much on the adventure side food-wise, but the atmosphere is great. There's there's music there. If you maybe don't want to have such a formal sit-down thing, I really like the Tangerine Cafe outside. The food is not anything crazy. It's not spicy. It's very good. You get a very good value for your dollar. You could also enjoy Moroccan, who's across the promenade, if you time it just right. The other place I think that uh, the three-year-old and you all might really enjoy might be the Coral Reef over in uh, the Seas with Nemo and Friends because not only is the food very good, but you get this wonderful view of the uh, the tank and the aquarium. And again, I'm thinking about the, the kids and how much they might enjoy seeing the fish. So you really can't go wrong with any of those. What you might want to do is look online or look in your favorite guidebook to get an idea of some of the menus and see if maybe that'll help you decide which of the restaurants you'd like to try. Sean Nava wrote in and said, Hey, Lou, I want to ask you a quick question. If we're apt to use the Magical Express and not get a car at all on the trip, seeing as how we have a 15-month-old, do the Disney child care stations located within the parks have things for the children to eat? What I'm trying to see is that, can we get out of stopping at the store on the way to the hotel just to cut the rental car out altogether? Or maybe is this a better question? Does Coronado Springs have a mini store in the lobby that would sell small milks and maybe some things for a baby, or do at least be able to get that stuff at the parks? 
We could bring most of it with us, so I'm just talking about things like diapers, uh, maybe some small baby food and milk. Thanks in advance. Uh, Sean, yes, I having traveled with kids, I can tell you the baby care centers in the parks are absolutely wonderful. They're great, quiet, cool places you can take, change your kids, nurse your kids. Uh, well, not you nurse your kids, but, you know, your wife nurse her kids. But uh, And they do sell uh, dard baby food. They also sell milk. They sell wipes. They sell diapers. Anything that you think that you could possibly need. Uh, is it maybe, you know, a few pennies more than what you'd pay at a local grocery store, yes, but it's much better than having to worry about carrying around uh, jars and jars of food. There's also a microwave, so if you need it to heat up a bottle, if you need to heat up food, you could do that as well. Um, very clean. They're staffed. Uh, they're also often right near uh, the first aid station, like the Magic Kingdom is right next door. So if, if you ever have any kind of problems that way, um, very, very convenient. All the resorts do have little kind of mini stores in there that you can get milk. Uh, oftentimes they will have some items like diapers, although they won't have a huge selection, uh, baby wipes, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, they are very, you know, um, cognizant of the fact that people are there with young kids. And if you don't see it in the store, ask a cast member. They will normally be able to help you try and find it somewhere, uh, especially if you are in a pinch. But between the stores at your resort and the baby care centers, again, which are wonderful inside the parks, you should be fine. Andy wrote in and said, Lou, I had the opportunity to go down to Walt Disney World for a weekend in mid-October. Is it viable to do Walt Disney World in two days? And if so, what is your recommended travel plan? I know Mike Scopa would know this, but I wanted it answered before I came back. Mike, I'm sorry. He said it, not me. Uh, Andy, thank you for the question. You know, depending on who you're going with and how you want to do it, yes, you, you can do it in two days. I've gone down for weekend trips on my own and I've had a great time in the parks. So what I think you really need to do is say, all right, what's most important that you want to see or do is riding Everest or hitting something in the Magic Kingdom or catching the new Haunted Mansion. Is that of primary importance? And what else in those parks do you want to do? How much time do you want to spend? You know, it's easy to get in between the Magic Kingdom and Epcot, for example. Say if you're, if you're not taking a car, you can go to the Magic Kingdom in the morning for a couple of hours, hop on the monorail, and then be in Epcot. So you should be able to bang out for the most part, the major things that you want to do, you're going in October, it's not going to be all that crowded, so you don't have to worry about really long wait times. And then maybe on the second day, you could say, okay, you know, do I want to do MGM at Animal Kingdom or do I want to spend my whole day in MGM or just hit Everest first and then go to MGM? You definitely could do it. You know, you can hit all four parks. It's not going to be a leisurely relaxed trip by any stretch of the imagination. But again, especially if you're not going with kids, it makes you a little bit more flexible as far as travel-wise and, and speed-wise, but uh, it's very doable, and you can even kind of think of it as a challenge. See how much you can get done in those two days, how many attractions you can uh, you can bang out in those two days, so enjoy. Our last email this week comes from Marissa Brzezinski and from North Carolina, who says, Lou, I remember many years ago, maybe in the early 90s, I think, that they actually held an election to elect the new mayor of Main Street, USA. The race was between Pooh and Captain Hook, each having headquarters set up on opposite side of Main Street, on the train station at the end of the street. It was patriotic bunting, pins being handed out, and electioneers out working the crowd to vote for their candidate. I couldn't stand the notion of that goody two-shoes poo winning, so I cast my vote for Captain Hook, who I believe did end up winning Yo-Ho indeed. Have they ever done another election since? I thought it was a super idea, and often wondered if they do it again during real presidential election years. Keep up the magnificent work and have a very Disney day. Uh, Mip, thanks very much for the for the question, and uh, 
I do remember this from around, I think it was 1994, somewhere around there that they did this Main Street summer celebration and they had an election for what was going to really become the kind of unofficial slash official Magic Kingdom mascot. Pooh was known as, or his kind of tagline was, the candidate for you. His headquarters was in the Emporium and Captain Hook, who told you to vote for Captain Hook or else, was located over in the camera shop. Now, I don't honestly know who won, and I, w- I went looking when I read your email for some photos to see if I could find anything. I really couldn't find anything um, in my archives. I'll keep on looking and see what I can find. Uh, I think another election like this would be pretty interesting. I, I don't know that they've ever done it again since. Um, I'd be curious to know what you or other people thought. Who should be the mayor or who should be the official mascot of the Magic Kingdom if they were to have something like this? And maybe this is something you guys can vote on over at the forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. We'll put a poll up there and see uh, who you think should be, who should run in the election and who should win as the official mascot of, uh, of the Magic Kingdom. So that's going to do it for this week's emails. Again, if I didn't get to yours, I promise I will get to it in the coming weeks. I know I still have a lot of them to get to. But by all means, please keep your emails coming to lou at wdwradio.com. You can also send in your question as a voicemail or just a comment via voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. Thank you for tuning in again this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to Jeff Pepper, as well as Gary Chambers for coming on and helping me out, as well as everyone who wrote and called into the show. Be sure to check our show notes page at wdwradio.com for more information and links to previous episodes of the show. Don't forget that if you're going to be in Walt Disney World on Saturday, September 29th, the National Fantasy Fan Club is going to be holding their second annual convention and show and sale at Disney's Coronado Springs Resort. It's going to be open from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. There's free parking. If you're around, interested in Disney merchandise, by all means, please come by and say hello. I'll be there. I'll have a table. I'll also be selling the first of my audio guides to Walt Disney World, so please come by and say hi. Be sure to tune in next week for a very special episode just in time for Epcot's 25th and some exciting segments and guests I have lined up for future shows. If you're going to be at MouseFest, be sure to visit our MouseFest page at DisneyWorldTrivia.com for all of our meets. And if you're coming to MouseFest or looking to book any Disney vacation, you know that I highly recommend contacting our friends over at The Magic for Less Travel. They have unsurpassed service, daily discount checking, personalized vacation planning, and so much more. Visit our show notes page or visit TheMagicForLess.com. As always, please keep on emailing the show and calling in your voicemails to Lou at WDWRadio.com and call the voicemail at 206 206- 202-4-WDW. That's 206-202-4939. Don't forget also, please come by our fun and friendly forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com for discussions about all things Disney. And if you like the show, please help spread the word. Thank you again for tuning in this week. I really hope you enjoyed the show. So until next week, see ya! Hey, Lou. My name is Brian Rainey. I'm from, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. I'm on my seventh day at Disney World. It's my last day. Just got off Small World. Had an awesome meal at Small Reef. Awesome. Um, we're worn out, but like I said, it's my seventh day, and I don't want to talk. Yeah, hi, this is Kenny from West Palm Beach. I was just doing an update on Spacious Earth uh, reconditioning uh, completion date. If you could check into that and let me know, I appreciate it. Thanks. Kenny from West Palm Beach. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou. This is Patrick from Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, patrickandlydia.com, which has nothing to do with Disney, but 
like to plug my own blog. Uh, wanted to comment on your rumors. I'm so glad that I could actually contribute to the rumor mill. Uh, your rumor about the Galaxy Palace Theater and about how it's crucial to certain Disney events. We actually, uh, my wife works with someone whose husband is part of the Night of Joy, was part of the Night of Joy this year, and their rumor was that the Night of Joy may be moving to another theme park as early as next year. Uh, could be the studios is probably the most likely candidate. Um, so Disney may already be positioning that theater to be phased out. Uh, another thing to contribute to the Tomorrowland rumors, we were there last week, and uh, in the midst of a rainstorm, I dove into the Carousel of Progress so that I could get away from the rain. But on the way out, I was stopped by a Disney research person. And the research person asked me a whole raft of questions like, uh, did you enjoy it? Uh, how did you like the host? Would you recommend it to friends? Why would you recommend it to friends? And that kind of thing. So Disney's doing some pretty hard research on the Carousel Progress right now. Uh, the other interesting detail to that was at both Space Mountain and Buzz Lightyear, when we got our fast passes, we got bonus fast passes for the Carousel of Progress. So Disney's really trying to get their guests to go and try it out and, and go through it and hit their researches, I'm sure, at the end to determine whether that's going to be a keeper or not. Personally, I'd love to see it stay, and uh, maybe they could move it over where the theater used to be and provide a big space there for that e-ticket ride in Tomorrowland. Uh, they help to work with the traffic patterns there. Great show, and uh, we'll see you at the park sometime. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is Tom Fantosi from New York, New York. Uh, my question is concerning Walt Disney World, and uh, I wanted to know if there was any chance that we might see Main Street USA uh, restored to its former glory. Uh, for example, I miss the days of the Penny Arcade and the old magic shop there. Uh, I find that that Disney merchandise mile just gross and, and over the top. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Luke. 